Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hi again, and welcome to the show. Get your coffee cup. If you drink coffee, I've got mine right here. You know, I love doing this show for so many reasons. When I started doing it, my goodness, going on three years ago, the idea was really very simple. I've owned a leadership development firm for 25 plus years, going in and out of organizations all across the country and the world actually, training, leadership development, that's an ocean topic, I know, but in all areas of the challenges and the issues that leaders face. So whether it was a workshop or a coaching situation, what I learned was everyone has some needs and everyone really does need some hope. And all of us are always wanting to learn if we have any leadership role. And so I got the idea to have the podcast to bring guests each week who are experts in their areas, in their roles, whatever it is, from all walks of life and in all situations, from someone that owns an ice cream place that hires artistic kids to CEOs. That's why I started the show. Today I have someone with me who's really interesting in terms of a person that I haven't had on the show before. I want you to know about Dr. Catherine Pang. Dr. Catherine Pang, I have to read this to you because she's got so many degrees, it's just hard to <laughs> memorize them. First of all, psychologist, author, and teacher who brings hope. I love that. We're always wanting to bring hope to leaders encouragement and brain science, the neurology of hope, to her practice as a licensed psychologist and clinical director at Lakewood Wellness. She has two law degrees, extensive experience in business and in law and in education. She obviously is a PhD, an MBA, several masters, an entrepreneur, and founder of Christian Life Institute. Besides that, she has a radio show on KWRD-FM 100.7 on Saturdays at 6.30. That's a good time to settle in, isn't it, and hear a hopeful message. So, Kate, I can call you Kate rather than Absolutely. Catherine. Absolutely. All my friends do. It is great to be here. Thank you so much, Valerie, for the opportunity. And so exciting to see what's happening in your life with leadership and helping so many people learn how to tap in to those skills and really cultivate and grow themselves forward, as we say, at the Christian Life Institute and Lakewood Wellness. Thank you. Thank you. And you're going to bring a different perspective. You know, Kate, uh, coaching is one thing. I always said, no, I'm not a life coach, which is interesting because when you coach leaders, they're human beings and the two have to meld in some way. But I don't go over into things that are more life situations like I do business that might be impacting someone's life. But that's what you specialize in. And I would just love for you to share with us at this time of, of the world experiences that are going on all over and the divisiveness and 
the Zoom calls and the COVID and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. What are some of the major challenges that leaders are facing differently now? Yeah, you know, there are so many, and I'm, I'm reluctant at times to put commonalities or generalizations around things, you know, mm -hmm. and I am answering the question. Bear with me for a moment, but I love dog agility. If you've ever watched a border collie or even a corgi, and the interesting thing about dog agility is you see all these dogs of different shapes and sizes, and they're running these courses and they're having to navigate these very challenging obstacles. And you wonder how do they swig swag through the poles and how do they run at that speed and how do they walk on different obstacles? And you know, in the corporate training world, one that I've been in for many years as well, we have all of these corporate training types of team building exercises and different types of ways to build agil agility and resiliency. And I think to answer your question, a lot of the challenges come from how do I navigate change? Mm. How do I continue to be stable in the midst of so many what I refer to as external fluctuations? Mm. How do I adapt with agility? How do I maintain perspective? How do I not lose hope? And one of the things that we do, because the worlds are different, when you someone comes to see me as a psychologist, they come for therapy in a very confidential environment, a safe space where they can share about anything that they're struggling with. We help equip them to find ways to move through. We don't want a Band-Aid. We don't want to just quickly go for some quick-term, self-soothing type of solution because those things don't last. And we want lasting, we want to be able to go the distance. So we help people sort of look for the roots. We teach them how to deep dive. And that helps them overcome some of the challenges to your question of how do I work at home with a spouse and children? How do I navigate my children's education at home when I might know things, but I'm not a teacher or gosh, they're five-year-olds or six-year-olds and we're asking them to sit in front of screens or, how do I, when I'm used to going off to a workspace, now work from home where, not that someone's listening to my conversations, but now sees me in a different capacity. And maybe that puts a strain on a relationship because the person's like, wow, I didn't know you were that A, B, or C when you interact with people or you manage people. And, you know, these parts of our worlds that have become exposed, mm -hmm. right? Helping people learn how to be still stable in the midst of sort of this visibility or this exposure that we didn't have before all of these unexpected changes. Okay, so I'm going to ask a really specific question. Someone comes to you and they're a leader, they have a team. They obviously are motivating their team, trying to keep the team engaged, mm -hmm. but they themselves are beginning to get down. Yeah. What do you say to the leader of the leaders? Which is such a great question, right? Because leaders of leaders, it's very challenging because who do you go to, mm -hmm. right? You're in a C-suite or even, you know, at, at the next level. And that visibility, that transparency, that authenticity is hard at that stage. What do I say? How much do I say? What do I expose? Which is why, as a psychologist, I have many of those folks as patients. And there's no stigma attached to therapy. Therapy is not just for some serious issue. Can I stop you right there? Because that is so interesting. Through the years, what I have experienced is that even myself, back when I was raising children and starting my business, 
I wouldn't have thought of coming to you, Kate. I'm sorry. I wouldn't have because there was a stigma. What's wrong with me? Oh, you've got mental problems. Exactly, right? So debunk that stigma, yes, please. Yes, right. So yes, there are there are those who have mental disorders and that's not a slam that's not a dig Mm -mm. there are diagnoses just like if i have diabetes or i have you know neuromyalgia or i have you know ibs or epilepsy we need attention right so there are mental health issues that require more consistent attention and that's over which is over here and then we have living life yeah how do we navigate the challenge of this world? How do we navigate through grumpiness at home? How do we navigate our 14 and 15 year olds, which is, oh my gosh, you know, their brains <laughs> aren't even developed and they think they've got every answer known to man. How do we not lose it? How do we learn to not be frustrated in the midst of frustration? How do we learn to navigate to your question the team where I'm pouring my energy and I'm being that cheerleader and that cultivator and that collaborator, where do I get my refreshment? Where do I have my recharging? And that's where self-care and taking time for oneself is not the same as selfishness. There are many who say, oh, that's so selfish of you to want to leave the house and go have a spa day when you're leaving me home with the kids or vice versa. And it's like, we all need what I call dumb downtime. Dumb down time. Dumb down time. I like that. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. We need to find those places where we can refresh and recharge, and that's different for everyone. Kate, so getting really even more specific, a senior executive who is in charge of, let's say, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned that they need refreshing. Here's what I'm hearing from those people. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for that. And that is the standard Uh, party line. Okay. You can interrupt me anytime. I'm interrupting you because that is the standard party line. And? And here's the thing. We do not have time unless we choose to make time. Say that again. That's a good teachable point of view. We do not have time (laughs) unless we choose to make time. We are so often governed by externals. The things around us pressing in and governing and work, everything is a 911, everything is a crisis or a fire. The demands are huge. But it's about perspective. And it's about recognizing, and we teach a lot of executive function skills, organization, planning, time management. No matter how good you are, you can always cultivate those skills, develop that prefrontal cortex, get up there where that those great decision-making skills are. Because we will never have time unless we choose to make time. And that can seem really hard when kids are pulling and spouses or partners are pulling or the world is pulling or work is pulling, but it is possible. I really appreciate that because it is at the top. If the leader doesn't show that role model, that behavior, then no one else will, and they will be afraid to. So another example, I am not at the senior leadership level, but I am, uh, let's say, a, a director or a team lead or whatever, and the boss is not taking time off. I'm finding that these are the people who are coming to me for coaching are saying, I can't, I'm afraid of losing my job. 
So how do you overcome and have a challenging maybe conversation? The conversation maybe to have with a boss to say, I need help. No, exactly. And I refer to those as courageous conversations. Well, they are. How to have courageous conversations. And courageous conversations require an intrinsic stability. They require perspective. They require clarity of intent. We teach a lot of that both therapeutically and at the at the Christian Life Institutes from a spiritual formation perspective, knowing what we're doing and why we're doing it. And what is my motive in that, right? Because if those above are not modeling and they shape the culture, that's exactly and our right. culture is not user-friendly, mm-hmm. then yes, it's incredibly challenging because I'm going against that culture. I'm, in fact, being criticized for that, or my evaluations are coming back and that's not reflecting on me well. So how do I learn to be in a culture which is not user-friendly without allowing it to consume me? What, what can right? you Right, so give one of the things tip. that you have to do is you have to learn to find ways to take those self-care snippets. Perhaps you get up and walk to the restroom slowly <laughs> and go to the restroom for three minutes rather than running in and out for one minute because the reality is there's always going to be a pile or coming to terms with the reality that there will always be a pile. And that while the expectations may be there should be no pile, the courageous conversation needs to be, I'm already here 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I am working on the pile, but this pile is not going to vanish. Right. I had a a wonderful example of this uh, with an executive who did not bring work home. Mm -hmm. Did not bring work home. And I said to the wife, and this was a senior executive. That's really interesting. How can he do that? And she said, Kate, well, I don't know. But what he says to me is, honey, if I brought it home, it would eat me up and you too. Yeah, it becomes consuming, right? So balance, right? Yeah, balance is so important. And I know that seems so intangible and unrealistic in so many ways. I've had, you know, partners of major law firms and C-level folks in my office and those of faith where we can integrate that that faith-based perspective and use that for grounding and stability, whether we're doing that psychologically or we're doing that from a spiritual formation perspective, it's about recognizing I need to have appropriate boundaries. And boundaries don't mean I'm pushing someone away. A boundary isn't meant to be protective. While it can, that's not a healthy place for a boundary. A boundary is a realistic recognition of I will be consumed if I don't, and I'm already performing at that level. We don't use it to protect or cover or justify areas of deficiency or weaknesses. We use it to ensure the continued effectiveness and efficiency so that I can be that best person, both at home, in the workplace, family life, church life, social life, activity life, etc. So really calling all that together, what I'm hearing is it's about choice. Always. It's about choice. Always. And many people, again, that I'm uh, coaching, Kate, are, are having a hard time making choices, better choices, because of fear. Because of fear. Fear is a huge root. And one of the things we do is help people identify fear and teach them how to root out fear, both again from a spiritual formation perspective at the Christian Life Institute, and then also if we're working in a therapeutic environment, 
people don't recognize they have choices. And that's where hopelessness and powerlessness come into play. And if we are dealing with an addiction, for say, like a real powerlessness, we may not have choice, but life is filled with choices every microsecond. Even if we don't recognize it, the choice to look at you or look over here, the choice to reach for a coffee cup or not reach for a coffee cup, the choice to put my arms this way or this not this way. We're not sitting here intentionally and frontal lobe thinking about where do I put my hands? Although when we cultivate awareness of self, we want to learn what we're doing and why we're doing it. But we have a choice. And if we can recognize we have choices and start to look at the healthiness versus unhealthiness of the choice, which is very much a personal statement. Because not all things that are healthy for me or unhealthy for me are the same for you. Coffee may not be healthy for me for a variety of reasons. You might be able to have your coffee and enjoy it. It's not a right, wrong, good, or a bad, or a comparison. It's recognizing what's gonna help me be effective and efficient in, but not of the world, as we say at the Christian Life Institute. A lot of deep things that you deal with, Kate. I'm, I'm admiring you so much. You've got a book that uh, I wrote down. I, you've got several books. The one I wrote down that I thought would be really interesting to get for self, the journey of discovery, who am I? And it's a workbook. So would that help common person? Yeah, so it's 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 built on the 12 steps of AA, but it's not targeted solely at those who struggle with an addiction. It's targeted at those who feel as though there's a battle they cannot overcome in their life. And we all have those. We call it identify your it. We all have an it or its. Those places where we feel we're consumed or trapped or overwhelmed or entangled or enmeshed. And so we use the 12 steps of AA because I think therapeutically and also just from a general spiritual development perspective, resentments are like cancer cells. They're killers. Mm -hmm. So we help people sort of work through the steps to get free of resentments, to be able to recognize, to surrender, to see that there is power and powerlessness. It's also built very much on scripture. So it's for those who want a faith-based perspective, but it really helps one recognize their identity and who they are and the value and the worth that they have intrinsically and how to build on that and cultivate what we so emphasize is intrinsic core stability. We love uh, physical therapy metaphors and Pilates and yoga and those types of things, right? Because that core body strength, you've heard that out there, right? We need that core body strength. If yeah. we don't have that good solid muscle structure, everything else kind of gets out of alignment. Yeah. And we want to be aligned. So I do a lot of identity formation, working with a lot of successful professionals who, I'm an attorney. Why? I've always been an attorney. Their identity is in their profession. Exactly. Right? Well, who are you apart from being an attorney? Who are you apart from being a physician? Who are you apart from being a CEO? I have 40 and 50 year olds sitting on my couch. I don't know. And I'm like, would you like to know? Would you like to go on that journey of discovery? Because we can do that together. And so that's in alignment with what I do in branding and what what we call it is understanding the who. And that sounds so simple, but mm -hmm. for your from your perspective and from my perspective too, it isn't the real who. Oh. And people sometimes think they know, but it is tied to 
a job. And then, Kate, when the time comes that they either unfortunately lose a career mm -hmm. or a job mm -hmm. or they retire, mm -hmm. then is when who am I? And so until whether it's coming to me with the branding perspective or you as a psychologist, until we know that in-depth core, like you say, of the who, then how can we possibly envelop more of a self-confidence and, and an inner knowing of this is who I am, therefore this is how I make decisions. Until you got the coup. Exactly. And I, what's I, gonna suffer. I really want to let our listeners know, please hear me. You are not alone if you've never thought about who am I outside of a role. Mm -hmm. We have so many roles and functions that we play. I'm a spouse, I'm a parent, I'm a teacher, I'm this professional, I'm this at church, I'm this in my social group, I'm this in my friend group. We define ourselves in this culture by role or function and we have a variety of roles and functions and, and that's important. Mm -hmm. But who am I intrinsically? What does that look like? Because to be able to weather the storms of life, the disappointments, the hurts, the challenges, to be able to be those victorious overcomers, as we refer to them at the Christian Life Institute, to recognize that we can move through, we can press on, we can run the race with endurance requires an anchoring into those core traits and attributes and characteristics of who I choose to be. And that's the awesome freedom is that I can choose Regardless of my past, there's a great song, a Christian call, song, which has a line, I'm not the sum of my past mistakes. We all have mistakes. We all have past. We all have flaws. We all have failures. We all do. No one is And exact. we'll continue. And we will continue. <laughs> but the reality is that we can, in the here and now, we can recognize, and we do a lot of teaching on what we call tendencies, propensities, and susceptibilities. We can and will never be free of tendencies, propensities, or susceptibilities, but we don't have to live in captivity to them. We don't have to live reactively out of our limbic system. That's the primitive part of our brain where all the emotion and anger and frustration resides. We can learn how to move on up into the prefrontal cortex to be able to choose, you know what, hey, I may be impatient as a susceptibility. I may struggle with that, struggle with that for the rest of my life. But I don't have to be an impatient person. That's interesting. I can choose to say, you know what? I want to be a, a person who's patient. That doesn't mean my, my flesh and my propensity and my susceptibility is going to rear its ugly head and go, impatient, impatient, see, no one's at the counter to help you. Impatient, Starbucks isn't doing fast enough. Impatience, <laughs> they're not moving quick enough down the freeway. Impatience, like, right, every second. Ah, impatience, but we can learn how to choose to be choices again. Choices, but it's coming to the awareness. It's so many good moving things. up here to the prefrontal cortex. Kate, with the heaviness, I would think that you deal with every day. What makes you laugh? Oh, let's see: sunflowers, dogs. <laughs> Always dogs. Dogs. I am. You have a dog. Huge crazy. dog, don't you? We adopted a rescue Great Pyrenees during COVID. 
we had lost our last of what was five dogs over a period of, of 10 or 12 years. Oh. We had to make that excruciating decision oh. in July, which no matter how many times you've done that, never, ever, 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 yeah. ever, ever gets easy. And again, if you're listening, the loss of a dog, a cat, a, a love for a child mm -hmm. is as painful and difficult as the loss of a human. I know that people who are not geared towards animals don't quite get that but i can say true. psychologically that is very real and very true mm -hmm. so yes we had the privilege of adopting without really understanding great pyrenees <laughs> so big well we knew they were big 95 pounds she's actually sort of uh on the lower weight side she's a female they can be 140 pounds Jeez. they're guardian dogs so they are bred to sort of guard flocks and um, pasture animals and the like, very protective, but incredibly sweet. They think they're lap dogs. So all 95 pounds literally wants to get in your face and sit on your lap. I sent you a few pictures, yes. but they are obstinate and stubborn and shall not be told what to do ever. So they will do what they want to do when they want to do it. Sound familiar for anyone And out so there? do you use you your psychology? Oh, psychology, unfortunately, doesn't even work because they're in that limbic system. But um, they are so sweet and so wonderful. But they are escape artists. So can never be off leash. Actually, the rescue folks won't even allow you to adopt one if you don't have a really well-fenced backyard. Mm. We actually came to her because she was found roaming around a freeway. And, you know, some great Pyrenees rescue folks found her. She was incredibly underweight. She turned out to be pregnant. She had a litter. So she's had a hard life in her three years. Oh, but I'm so glad she's got a good but life. But God brought her to us, and she is an incredible blessing to us. And we are so grateful for her. But I love dogs. They make me smile. <laughs> and they their love is just totally unconditional unconditional it? it is they don't remember they don't hold resentments isn't that good we actually teach people how to be the golden retriever in the backseat of a car what does that look like it means you put your head out the window you don't have an opinion practicing the art of not having an opinion where are we going why are we taking 75 why aren't we taking northwest highway why are we stopping here shouldn't we be there already golden retrievers don't do that they just go along for the ride oh so for those analogy. who struggle with having to have an opinion, ah. we talk about practicing the art of being a golden retriever. That's a great teachable point of view, which you've mentioned several, Kate. I, I want to go to just a couple of more before we have to end this, which is, um, let's see, you gave me several. Which one do I want to talk about? Well, I think the one on emotional intelligence. Why? recognizing our own aware having awareness of our own emotional intelligence is important more important than ever before yeah you Why? know one of our foundational starting points both therapeutically and at the christian life institute is cultivating what we call awareness of self mm -hmm. what am i doing why am i doing it what am i saying what why am i saying it what's my intent what's my motive what's the truth in this those would you repeat some of those write those down i think those are great questions to start every day absolutely what am i doing and why am i doing it what is my intent what is my motive what is my truth what am i saying why am i saying it what is my intent what is my motive what is my truth here's my classic example a couple one of them says, hey, 
can you go to the grocery store and get some coffee? Person says, sure. And by the way, get these other things. Okay. They come back from the grocery store. The groceries get unpacked. Lo and behold, there's no coffee. Now the person who requested the coffee has some choices. It's apparent there's no coffee. So if you stop and say, why am I about to say, where's the coffee? Your only intent and motive and truth can be to point out that they forgot the coffee. That's a passive aggressive play. It's obvious there's no coffee. It's obvious they forgot the coffee or either the other option is they're being intentionally malicious and evil and not wanting to get the coffee. Now, that could be an option in some relationships. But if I really stop to say before I say it, hey, where's the coffee? I probably wouldn't say that and just sort of say, Alexa, can you put coffee on the list? Or if it were really important, I'd say, hey, I'll be back in two minutes. I'm going to go get the coffee. Or I could also say, hey, pet name. And I encourage people to do that so we don't overuse the Valerie, 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 kind of like saying no to a dog. Hey, pet name, is it possible to go back and get the coffee? Now I'm being mm. authentic. That's a switch. Right? Where's the coffee is a passive aggressive. Can you please go get the coffee? Is it putting blame? It's making an authentic request to what is already obvious. That's such a great simple tip that would help every marriage, every relationship, right? Yes. And it's a pivot. How simple. I like that one. Yeah, okay, learning to pivot. Learning to pivot. Yep. Oh my goodness, there's so many things that uh, we could do better. And I'm so grateful, Kate, that you're someone that, um, that I've met, that I've uh, learned to know through teaching the Bible study that you do, mm -hmm. and all of the wonderful work you're doing both spiritual work and and not spiritual work so it's not like yeah no they're they're different worlds there are a lot of similar principles because god did create our brains and he did create our right. physiology as i refer to it and whether we're talking from a faith-based perspective for those who want that or not for those who don't we still need to learn how to shift from the limbic system to the prefrontal cortex we still need to recognize we have choices we still need to learn to pivot Mm -hmm. We still need to learn to ask ourselves, what is my intent? What's my motive? What's the truth in this? To be able to navigate our landscape, no matter our landscape. Well, and what we all know is there is a longing, you said early on, the sense of isolation people can have, mm -hmm. especially leaders at the top. Who am I going to go to? And I think we all, this is Valerie's perspective, but um, I know you'll agree, we all have that God-shaped vacuum in us. Like, we know there's something deep down that we can call upon called God. And I'll leave it at that. We do indeed. Kate, thank you so thank much you. for being with us. And we can reach you at... You can reach us at Lakewood Wellness Partners. We're in Lakewood um, for psychological services, lakewoodwellnesspartners.com. For those seeking growth in their relationship with God and a deeper intimacy and spiritual formation, we're at christianlifeinstitute.com, which is an HTTPS colon backslash backslash <laughs> christianlifeinstitute.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. And of course, as you mentioned, Saturday nights at 6.30 p.m. on The Word, KWRD 100.7 FM. 
for an encouraging message of brain science and scripture. But I really appreciate the opportunity to share this time with you, and hopefully we can come back for future conversations. It's been great, Kate. Thank you. Thank and you. I want you to stay around because um, I want to talk to the audience about something that I started, and I'm going to continue it and continue it and continue it as long as you respond. And here it is. It's just a challenge. Previously on my shows, I, I said, wouldn't it be great if we just intentionally, by choice, every day had at the top of our neural, wherever it is, mind, to do something good for someone else, just a small kindness. It's really very simple. It can just be a smile, can't it? But to post that, either to send it to me, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com, if you're not into social media, I'll post it. Just something you did for someone or something that someone did for you. And how did it make you feel? So I'll give you an example. The other day, I um, got a call from someone I had not heard from for, I'll bet, 15 years. And it happened to be a senior executive. And this man happened to watch one of the podcasts. 15 years I hadn't heard from him. And he literally called to say, Valerie, I just want you to know I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. And I'm so glad that you're making a difference in our organization. Now, I do training programs on presence and brand in this Fortune 100 company, but he's way up here and he doesn't know what I'm doing down here in terms of every day. He just knew I was still there. But that's what he said. He took the time at that level. Wow, how do you think that made me feel? And then my first thought was, you know what? I'm going to pick up the phone and say something nice to somebody else. It's a ripple effect, and it isn't hard. So either send me an email, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com, and let me know what kindness you give or have received. Or there is a hashtag I literally found called hashtag Rekindling Your Kindness. Rekindling Your Kindness. It's on the screen right there. If you're into social media, just hashtag, just put that, go to across the platforms, wherever you tweet or put on Facebook and post there. Come on, folks, let's engage. Let's start something that will continue. I don't want you just to stop and watch this show and say, I learned something from Kate. I want you to do something and engage with other people. If everybody did that every day, we would have so much more of a kind culture and environment. And now I will leave you with my Valerieism of the day. This is the age of authenticity. As referenced in Sandra Joseph's book, Unmasking What Matters. I thought this was fascinating. She says in the book, according to Seth Godin, author, blogger, lecturer, quote, we're living, we are leaving the industrial economy and entering the connection economy. Isn't that good? What people are paying for and flocking to and talking about is connection. What we have to do is to win in the connection economy and that's an emotional labor, which means it's not easy, is it? 
But what's so fascinating about this time of life is this. Leaders are now having to be authentic and empathetic because they're having to lead with a whole different mindset. And if that mindset doesn't start from what's inside, it's fake and people know it. And so the goodness of all of that is leaders are stepping up, they're doing it, and they're gaining so many wonderful ground that maybe wouldn't have happened had they not been stretched to this level. So that's my Valerieism for today. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.